0: Home is your creative canvas, an expression of your unique style. Only Wayfair has everything you need to bring your vision to life. It's the place to shop for everything home, from sofas and beds to dining sets and decor. Wayfair makes it easy with fast and free shipping, even on the big stuff. They'll even help you set it up. Look, I have an eclectic style, but when I go on Wayfair, they've got such a huge selection of items for the home that there are things that fit me and I know others that will fit everybody else. Every style is welcome in the Waberhood. Visit Wayfair.com or get the Wayfair mobile app. That's W-A-Y-F-A-I-R.com. Wayfair. Every style. Every home. Food trends come and go, but there's one that never seems to go out of style. The classic chocolate chip cookie. Oh, my favorite and famous Amos chocolate chip cookies are as classic as it gets. Truly, they're made from the original recipe you know and love. I'm talking semi-sweet chocolate chips, a satisfying crunch. All together in a cookie you can't help but eat in one bite. It's everything classic in a cookie. Find famous Amos cookies anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Hey, it's Andy Cohen. here with my co-host John Hill. Hi, John. Hey, honey, darling. I, I did so much this past week. Did the and most. I want to tell you about all of it. And later, we are joined by Elton John's uh, collaborator Bernie Taupin, who uh, is behind all of his great songs. We had a great conversation with him about uh, all the music that he's written, and 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 I just love talking to him. I went to the U.S. Open, saw the men's finals. Did you watch my any chance? <laughs> no. Oh, wow. No. It was a I great match. Djokovic, he is a thoroughbred. He is like a thoroughbred horse. An ass mm. like I've never seen in person, this guy. Hmm. Unbelievable. Uh, it was a great night. And they put me on the big screen. No <laughs> one reacted. All these people were on the screen. People were going crazy. When I tell you, I think it got quieter. When I was on the screen, yeah, but that's because well, okay. you have that beard. Ah, exactly. That's gonna go. This Maybe they week. didn't know who you
1: were. Maybe I was you were Anthony Weiner.
0: I was in the, <laughs> I was in the Ralph Lauren box. I wore a suit and tie because I kind of forgot what I wear to the open every year. Well, I remembered quickly when the guy from Ralph Lauren was like, "Ooh, I feel so bad. You're wearing a tie." I was like, mm. "Oh, okay. Well, now I feel bad. I'm wearing a tie." Um, but I. Kept it on. Um, we had, we were sitting with James Marsden. Right in front of me was um, Megan Fahey and Leo Woodall, the couple from White Lotus, who are lovely. Mm-hmm. Charles Melton was was in our box from Riverdale. Oh, the guy from, um, the very handsome gay guy from uh, Bridgerton, John Bailey. Bailey. Oh my and God. And Wicked. Right. He's in Wicked. Oh wow. He's fierro. I well, I introduced myself to him. He did not share my interest. All he right. I I was not met halfway. Let me say that. Um <laughs> the box next to us it seemed like they were it was the gray goose box and it seemed like they would let celebrities in they would sit down for 20 minutes and then they'd go out and two new celebrities would come back it was this rotation it was like Justin Thoreau and Kiernan Shipka then now here's Diplo now here's Emily Ratajkowski and Zewe now here's Leah Michelle it was like this rotating roundabout of celebrities, it was... That sounds exhausting. Really, to... it kind of... Oh, and um, Emma Roberts, it's exhausting because... Yeah. These I'm, are all mainly people track. that I've had on my show, and if you don't recognize people immediately... Yeah. Then you look like an <laughs> a <A-ho-a>. How. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had a little drama getting back from the OC reunion, um, where I was last... I was in LA last Thursday and Friday... Um, had a great time. The reunion was really great. Can't wait for you to see it. And also the set. We did something really different this year uh, that was very exciting at the Amazon studios, something really high tech. Um, And we were flying back and... Get to New York. And by the way, we're going to be landing at 630 p.m. on Friday and I'm going to get home in time to tuck the kids in. And I was like, wow, I beat the system. This is great. 10 a.m. flight. to get back. We're circling over New York, circling over New York. There's like there's weather in New York and I'm texting friends in New York. They're like, yeah, it's cloudy, but, you know, I don't know. And there's weather, there's weather. Mm. Then now it's seven something. And the guy mm. says, we're running out of fuel. We have to go to Philly and get more no. fuel. I'm like, oh no, this is bad. We land in Philly at like 7.45 or 8. And they say, we are re- now we're at the gate. We're refueling. We will take off at 8.30 and we will land at 9.30. And I was like, I was looking at my Waze to see how long the drive was to New York. Um, And Waze was saying it was like an hour and 45 minutes. And the guy behind me, and I was like, "Eh, I might take an Uber. And the guy behind me said, are we doing this? Are we taking an Uber? And then I was like... Oh, and like, am I now taking an Uber with this guy? Like, which would be the thing to do to share an Uber, but also I'm like, no. I want a Kiki on the phone. I got I, yeah. I got stuff to do. I want, you know, like no. and then who do you drop off first in New York City? You know? No. And then I'm like, but it is such a waste to take two Uber, you know, but maybe we're helping the economy if we do, but and so now I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this, you know? And then they made the announcement and said, okay, we're, we're taking off at 8.30. I said to the flight attendants, I go, we're not getting back until like 11. I know it. They go, no, sometimes we're really in and out. I'm like, I don't think so. You know, I never check a bag. Haven't checked a bag in 30 yeah. years. Just do not ever check bags. So I was good. And... Uh, They made the announcement, oh, we're taking off at 8.30. We land at 9.30. And I said, I looked at the guy behind me, and I go, I'm out. And I just took my bag and ran out. So it wasn't a conversation between us. Seemed very nice. Would love to get to know him over a drink sometime. Um, And (laughs) went to the, uh, (laughs) went to wait for the Uber. Now it's Friday night at eight something. And I get a text from a housewife who's like, I need to speak with you. And I'm like, well, this must really be important because like it is Friday night. I mean, and I thought, well, this is your lucky night because I am truly doing absolutely nothing. And I wound up while waiting for the Uber, having a very circular conversation with someone That then started to kind of push my buttons and then I started losing my shit a little bit. And then I said to them, you know what? This is a really probably not good time for me to have this conversation because I am frustrated. I'm not Mm -hmm. in a place where I can be relaxed having this because I'm already annoyed. And they're like, oh, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's all good. So. Kind of aborted that call and I was, you know, I'm in the car and I'm thinking, what am I going to, what's going to happen here? Well, guess what? I get home and I'm tracking the flight, of course, and I see that it left and I was like, oh man, the plane took off. I didn't even think it was going to take off because usually you need a landing slot to take off. I don't know. Took off. I was like, "Shoot, maybe I made the wrong choice." Well, then, as I'm getting closer to New York, I see the plane's delayed, and the the landing time is a different. De- you know, it's different. I walked into my apartment at 10 p.m. as the plane was landing at JFK. So I would not have gotten home until 11. So I felt highly victorious and celebratory. You know, that's how the
1: song, uh the Arthur's theme, Arthur's song, Peter Allen song was written. When you get caught between the moon and New York City, a plane was holding in like, circling Manhattan, waiting. Uh, I didn't know. And that's that. how the lyric was written. I when didn't you get caught between that, the moon and New York City, the best you can do is fall in love. Yep.
0: Wow. There you go. Huh. By the way, I I had enough time getting in to New York City from Philly that I had a quick little drinks date with someone at my apartment, who John kind of set up, just so you know. Turns out, I think he wasn't as interested in me as I was in him. Seems to be a little bit of a theme today, but I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. I, I am. I'm trying. What do you mean a theme today? Well, I told you also that that man from Bridgerton seemed to... Bit oh. less excited about Do you know meeting how me. Most people don't I mean like most people don't show
1: their cards. Well, I think the guy I hooked you up with was is maybe just, you know, uh yeah, a little reserved in yep. that department. That's maybe cool. he also had like
0: a stomachache or something. Maybe he didn't want to hook up, but maybe No, it something. wasn't about hooking up. I didn't want to hook up. I was happy to just <laughs> ha- let the conversation be. He the part of the problem was he said Is it hard for you to date or something like that? We spent 20 minutes basically drilling down why I'm undateable. And so that's not a good first date topic. Although maybe it is. Maybe it gets, maybe it, maybe it, you know, maybe it takes the the air out of the room. I don't know. People are also so
1: weird. I think about all the weird dates and, and, And meetings that I've had with people, and they just, people can be so strange. It's so uh, rare that you meet someone that you actually connect with and vibe with. You know, it's so rare. Mm
0: -hmm. I agree. I really do. I
1: love Jonathan Bailey, though. I I don't, gosh, he's so hot. I don't want to talk about it.
0: Sorry. Now you're rubbing it in. We are going to be right back with Bernie Toppin on Andy Cohen, Stephen Shallow.
1: If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results, but how do you feel? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? Get to GNC. We'll help with solutions to address those side effects and keep you going on your journey. GNC.
0: Bernie, of course, is half of one of the greatest creative partnerships in popular music. He is the man who wrote the lyrics for Elton John, and he's got a fantastic new memoir out called Scattershot Life Music, Elton and Me. It is out uh, today, and I want to get right into it because I have so much I want to ask you about. Hi, Bernie. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. You know, I'm curious to know, given... It how well documented it is, what a bitch Elton can be, and I think he would characterize himself that way as well. And there's a song called The Bitch is Back and you know, a whole lot more. What do you think your the key to your partnership has been in terms of dealing knowing how to deal with a sometimes volatile personality?
2: Well first i think you have to rephrase that to could have been as opposed to now okay. which is is really not the truth i think uh in the past that was probably induced by uh uh the intake of of illegal substances that uh are no longer prevalent so uh i i think you have to there think you of it go in those terms. right but i i've i've always I've always maintained that our longevity has a lot to do with uh, the differences in our personality. And, but, you know, from day one, we've always looked out for each other. We've understood what each other's differences are. And I think that's made for a much stronger partnership.
0: I want to talk about your song, which uh, you say in the book, you scribble down in 10 minutes And it's one of the great love songs of all time that you scribbled down in 10 minutes. Talk to me about coming up with this.
2: Well, I don't think there was any preconceived idea. I mean, we were both at that particular point in time working at uh, Elton's mother's apartment in the suburbs of London. Incredible. And it was really, I guess it was like our sort of mini Brill building, you know, we were... We were just every day working uh, in tandem. You know, I'd be working in the in the bedroom and he'd be in the living room working on lyrics and we'd go back and forth. And so it was really par for the course at the time. So we'd always be writing and I'd be always jotting down ideas. And uh, it just happened that... Um, You know, I was if you've seen, you know, actually, if you've seen the movie Rocket Man or if your listeners have seen it, the actuals, although that movie is very much a fantasy in parts, there are actual moments in the movie that are actually realistic in the sense that that's the way that they happened. And if you've seen the movie, you'll see me sitting at the uh, breakfast table uh, jotting an idea down and uh at one at one point i hand it to uh elton or reg as he was at the time and in the movie the ca- um taron who plays elton looks at the uh the lyric sheet and says this has got egg all over it and that's actually uh actually true I think on the original lyric that I scribbled down this sort of coffee stains and Yolk stains from the egg and uh, what have you. But uh, yeah, I mean, he basically just picked it up, took it into the living room, and within half an hour, bang, there was your song. So I don't think there's any sort of deep backstory to yeah. it. I mean, it really, it really kind of literally happened that way. And I think that a lot of the hesitancy in the lyric and in the in the song comes from the fact that, you know, I was I was only basically uh, I wasn't even 20. I was probably 19, 18, 19. And so it came from a very, very um, uh, from a, the, a point of view of somebody who was very innocent. And, and so the hesitation in it is real um someone saved my life
0: tonight uh I, I, is so was that written after he almost was married he near. he almost was he almost got married right
2: yeah um well the thing is it sort of it parlays into several points at that particular point in time um yeah uh the reference the reference is kind of varied because i mean he'd he'd made a, ha- a half-hearted attempt at suicide which was quite comical you know if if you factor in that he left the window open turned the gas on low and took a a pillow with him Um, (laughs) you can see the sort of funny side of it. Nobody took it really very seriously, but at the same time, I think it was a cry for help. But how did,
0: how did the woman he almost married take it?
2: She just rolled her eyes and walked out of the kitchen. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can, as i say nobody took it very seriously okay, okay i think i just looked at him and said you you got to be joking you you can't be serious but at, at the same time i think there was a serious side to it because it was as i say a cry for help but um so factoring that in and then you know we we went out f- for not particularly that evening but in the following week And we went out with a guy called Long John Baldry, who um, was Elton was playing with, had been playing with in a in a pro band earlier on. He was very instrumental in saying, you know, you're out of your mind. Why are you doing this? You know, you're obviously a gay man, and you need to you need to understand that and come to terms with it. And we we proceeded to get absolutely shit-faced. And by the time we got home about one o'clock in the morning, he sort of went in, you know, to uh, deliver his Waterloo to his fiance. And so the following day, we basically piled all our stuff into his stepfather's van and headed back to our sort of Brill Building in the suburbs. Um, so, again, you know, that... That somewhat and saved my life tonight encompasses all of those things. The the night that we went out and sort of he was delivered his ultimatum, and so it, it, it's a it's a love song in ways, but it's also a sort of redemption song as well, and it, it has many connotations. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a beautiful song. I love it so much. Tell me, tell me what song in your catalog has made you the most money can i guess
2: i don't know really uh, well, what's your best selling Actually, s- my wife's in the room and i bet she'd know <laughs> ask her she says your song or rocket man oh interesting i was
0: gonna say candle in the wind oh okay
2: your and song one, or, he, or, or and that one she said <laughs> <laughs> wow it's good to be the king um <laughs> Yeah, actually, it could very well be Candle in the Wind, given the the remake after right. Diana's death. Uh, yeah. So I, I would actually hazard a guess to say p- perhaps that one.
0: Were you surprised at the rebirth of that song when Diana passed?
2: Um. I I I guess I was I was probably staggered by the the sales and uh to this day I I still think it's probably one of the biggest uh selling singles of all mm. time and um so yeah I mean it was it was quite extraordinary because it was it was totally worldwide but again you know you have to it's interesting because I very much did that remake in about, literally, in about five or ten minutes. Mm. It, it no time at all. And if you asked me to this day to recite the lyrics, I wouldn't be able to remember a word of it. Wow. I did it very much, it very much as a favor to Elton because he was very close with Diana. Mm-hmm. I didn't know her. I wasn't a particular, you know, I, I paid very little interest to the, Royals. the- of her day-to-day life, yeah. like so many other people did, right. but again, I'm glad I did it because the what what the the uh, the record went on to make financially did a great deal of good cha- in a charitable sense.
0: Um, now, your first number one song in the UK was "Don't Go Breaking My Heart," uh, which you've previously said that you hate. Um, I know Elton called you with a backing track and said, you, you know, this is the music. Let's do it. Now, this is a jam. I love Don't Go Breaking My Heart. What's your What's your drama with it, Bernie?
2: There is no drama with it because I don't hate it. I don't hate any of our songs. Okay. That, that just don't appeal to me quite as strongly as others. No, I, I don't hate it. I've never said I hated it. Okay, okay. I hate like the word hate. The okay. very... It's a very—it's a little too pointed for me, yeah. but um, it's like Crocodile Rock. It's—it's. It's, I find it a little bit disposable in regards to the rest of our canon, you know. But uh, I'm not going to disregard it or th- throw it out the window because it did. It—it it, it, it was a different kind of record. I mean, we we were going for that kind of Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell, Kim Weston kind of duet thing, and. I guess the fact that I did it so fast and didn't think about any changes in it. And I did it when I was sort of deep in my cups, as they say, um, and did it after sticking my head in an ice bucket and caught back with it worked. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. It's kismet, you know,
0: I'm looking on this long song list and I I'm not sure I see funeral for a friend, but that's you, right?
2: Well, Funeral Friend basically is an instrumental. So I suppose it isn't me, but it leads into a song called Love Lives Bleeding. Yes. Which, you know, so it's all interconnected.
0: Um, well, talk to me about Love Lives Bleeding because I, I, I just I love that suite of music. It's so impactful. And it was for me the highlight of, um, of his last tour, which I saw um, last year.
2: Well, I mean,. The thing is, "Love Lies Bleeding" got to be connected to it afterwards. It wasn't wrote. It wasn't written as. It wasn't complete, written
0: as a companion piece to it.
2: No, it just we'd done that piece separately, and Gus Dudgeon, our producer at the time, you know, who was a sort of sonic genius, came up with the idea of connecting the two pieces. But and Love, and, Lies- then,
0: and he came up with the idea of connecting them on the album, where they they were connected
2: on the album, right. They were connected yeah. on the album yes, but in what I'm saying is they were we not did, written that way I see they weren't written that way and when we were in the studio we did love lies' bleeding as a separate piece which was really about the rigors of touring and how it can destroy relationships but that was all fictionalized but he just saw the the connection melodically and sonically and put them together and it worked perfectly
0: I loved Rocket man it was so. It was just wonderful in every way. I wonder, you know, those those movies either work or they don't work, um, and that one really worked. I wonder your impressions on the um, Queen Freddie Mercury movie. What did you think of it? Um, especially since you knew Freddie.
2: Um, in all honesty, I thought they copped out a little. Yeah. Um, they they didn't. I mean, the thing is that. Theirs was supposed to be much more uh, i guess realistic uh, and uh, following the the path of his career, where ours was all over the place and it was part fantasy, part reality, and the geography of the songs was all mixed up and but we we made that very clear where theirs was supposed to be realistic and I just found that they copped out a lot on uh you know uh Freddie's real uh, real character drive I mean um I don't know I mean it was it proved to be incredibly popular. I felt it was odd at the end that they spent so much time showing uh the performance at Live Aid when you know you could basically what's the real thing,
0: yeah,
2: right, you know? Right, right,
0: right. So, so true.
2: So true. Um, I'm, not, I'm a enough. big
0: uh, Levon fan, and uh, that was also one of the highlights of, of Elton's last show. Talk to me about writing that track, and um, and tell me, it,
2: is that Levon Helm?
0: I mean, who is that based on? Well,
2: oh, that's interesting, and I... I I've, thought, I've tried to re- put my mind on recall and think. And I guess, you know, I was such a fan of the band and loved all the characters and loved Levon deeply. But I don't remember actually thinking to myself, I'm going to use Levon's name in a song. But subconsciously, I, I probably did, because if you think about it, how many people are called Levon? Right. I mean, it's... A- pretty rare name. So that has, that to me is lost slightly in the mists of time, but I could have done. And so I, but if I did, I'm sure it was subconsciously. Did he ever Uh, ask you about it? No, but other members of the band did. I mean, apparently, (laughs) Robbie Robertson once told me that he was kind of unsettled by it, I think were the words he used, which I'm not sure what he meant. That Robbie
0: was unsettled by it or Levon was?
2: Robbie told me that Levon was unsettled by it, Ah. which, I mean, you can take many different ways that he didn't like it or he was somewhat Complimented, but he maybe he was trying to um, put himself in in the the guise of the character in the song, which it was probably a million miles away from the real Levon Helm. Um, But the the story is a fantasy. It's you know a fantasy of sort of old New York, which so many of the songs on Levon is on the Madman album, which is part of a suite of songs about. Of my first impressions of America when I came here, you know, Tiny Dancer LA, Leave On, uh, very New York y, and things like Razorface Midwest. So, it, again, it, it, all of those songs on Mad Men Across the Water were really pastiches of my uh, way that I regarded America the first time I was here. Mm.
0: Did not know that you you've you have written for many other artists. And I want to talk to you about you. You wrote two of the biggest hits of the 80s for other artists. Um, you wrote a song that has been derided uh, by many music critics. And I bet you this one has made you uh, you probably you could have bought a boat off of We Built This City by Starship. Um It is it was a massive hit. And but not a not a uh, critical hit. I mean, the 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 critics really targeted that one in a very big way.
2: Say which it again. I have.
0: What'd you say? <laughs> I say, which one would you rather have? I'd rather have the money. I think your wife and I want to go on the yacht. And so I'm good. I produce The Real Housewives, so I'm not looking for critical acclaim. I want to make people happy. And that song made a lot of people happy. But did that after all these years of such great critical success, did that piss you off? Did that, how did you take that? Justice Please, for we built this city, Bernie. I love it.
2: Not at all. I think in my book, I say, if I hadn't written it, would I like it? I pro-, And I said, no, but I did, so I do. <laughs> that's very honest. Wow. Yeah, I'm, you know, what you have to bear in mind, You have to bear in mind that when a guy the guy that wrote it with me, a guy called Martin Page, when we first wrote that song, it was and the the, if you ever heard the original demo, it's a very sort of dark, kind of creepy song. And what happened was that a guy called Peter Wolf took it in the studio and completely jerry rigged it and the eighties it it. it's so eighties it's unbelievable. But he totally he totally turned it into sort of this anthemic sort of pop song, yeah, which it originally, so i I give him all the credit for that, and now you know you hear it at football games, you hear yeah. it all over the place, you hear it in commercials, in fact, there's a great commercial on right now what's that thing called and built this thing a clean my toilet or something. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> well, guess
0: who's getting residuals for that. You are so good for you. Um, there's another big eighties song. Uh, this was, I, I, this was so massive. I mean, 1985 was a very good year for the topens. Uh, these dreams by heart. Um, talk to me about that song because that is a, that's what we would call
2: a power ballad of which you know, your way around. Well, again, that's a song that I wrote, w- again, with Martin Page, the same guy that I wrote We Built This City With. And um, he had a great knack for writing stuff that was was current at that time, like you talking about, that sort of 80s power ballad thing. So it literally was just a demo that we did that we passed around. Uh, there's no there's no there's no really interesting backstory to the song we were just writing songs as they came about and uh heart took that and what was interesting was it was the first time that Nancy had sung lead as opposed to Anne and so that was sort of Ooh. her day but, yeah, I mean, it was just, again, at that particular point in time, Martin and I were writing a bunch of songs, and a lot of them got covered. We got covers by people like Brian Ferry, and um, wow. he just had a real real knack with sort of that 80s type of uh, what was what was du rigueur for, you know, the radio at that particular point in time.
0: You had a hit with an artist who I think is undervalued as a pop star. Uh, She had so many hits and that's Olivia Newton-John. You wrote The Rumor for her. And I love Olivia Newton-John's voice. And she had a big catalog of hits. Talk to me about how this came about.
2: I have no idea because I remember the song, but for the life of me, again, you've put a gun to my head. I don't even remember how the song goes. Really? I wow. mean, we were close with Livy. I mean, we loved her. And she was being produced by a guy called James Newton Howard, who is, you know, a sort of multi Oscar nominated uh, movie uh, does movie music now and used to be in our band. And so we were close with him. So it it just all fell together like that. But I don't remember the song at all. But again, there's a lot of songs that I've written that I don't really remember either. So
0: Um, before we wrap it up, I'm just curious, do you I mean, this is so hard. Do you have a favorite song from your
2: collaboration with you and Elton? Is there one that you're like, oh, yeah, I think this is the one. Well, I always, I always quote Duke Ellington and say the one I'm going to write tomorrow. But yeah. I, I won't do that to you. Um, I, you know, it changes. But I, if obviously, I get that asked a lot. I mean, that's and that's makes sense. I'd, I'd say sacrifice. Sacrifice. Why? I think it's just a beautiful song. I think it's very it's a great marriage of melody and lyric. I think the lyric is very intense in the same way as there's a song that we wrote called I Want Love, which I feel the same way about. Um so I you know what the thing about sacrifice that I always cite is that it's almost the, the bookend of your song, because your song was so about young innocence, virginal kind of innocence. And it was written by somebody who was very much that character and sacrifice is a song that was written. Oh, what? 30 years later. And, you know, is it could be the same character, hmm. but who's gone through the mill and wow. gone through all the rigors of love, romance, and what it and the the burdens it comes with and the baggage it comes with. So it's kind of a bookend to your song, but I really love it. I mean, it's it's a very tragic kind of song. But uh, have you heard ever heard the Sinead O'Connor version of no. it? No. Oh, wow. I did a version of it too on my Restoration Country album with Don Henley and Vince Gill, which is pretty amazing oh, wow. too.
0: Well, Bernie Topin's memoir is called, it's Topin, right? Have I been mispronounced? Yes, sorry.
2: It- I didn't want to be mean and correct you, but it is Toppin. Yes. I'm sorry.
0: Give me a name and I will butcher it, Bernie. Bernie taupin's new memoir Scattershot: Life, Music, Elton and Me is out now uh from Hachette Books and uh what a what a pleasure and an honor it is taking this trip down uh musical memory lane with you. Thanks for hanging out with us today and we're going to be right back. Thank you, Bernie.
2: You guys take care.
0: my show the other night. I went for my annual dinner with Hickey and Sarah Jessica and Matthew and Amy Sedaris. We go to Raul's every year on 9-11. It's just always nice being with them in the shadow of those lights coming up from the World Trade Center. And uh, I still had my driver from Watch What Happens Live. So I still had my car, even though usually we walk home. We got to my car and I was going to give them all a ride home. And then my driver was like taking a pee somewhere. But he left the car kind of all open and the windows open. So we were afraid he got carjacked. But then we were I was like, if he got carjacked, the car would be gone. So... I think he's okay. But I was very worried about my driver. And then he was very embarrassed. He was like, "I thought you were going to be in there longer." I'm like, "Listen, we all have to pee, you know?" You often wonder where <laughs> cab drivers and drivers pee and you okay. maybe don't want to know something. How about this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was t- I took an I shared an Uber back from the Fire Island ferry with my friend Natalie this is a month ago. And we shared an Uber back to the city, and the guy w- wasn't communicating very well, but he was saying, like, I need to stop over here. And we were he basically just pulled over to the side of the road, ran across the highway into a field where he thought maybe it was safe to pee and just peed in full view of us <laughs> <He peed laughs> on the side of the road. And then he, and we could tell that he was so stressed out, and he got back in, we're like, listen— I you obviously it was an emergency, like no big right. deal. He was really apologetic. But we were like, girl, you're driving from Fire Island to the city like you needed to piss in that field. I get it.
0: Right. You know what? I was amazed the other night when I landed in Philly and took an Uber to New York City. I was amazed by how nonplussed the Lyft driver was about schlepping right. to New York. He was like he didn't care. Yeah. I made that drive a bunch at one, oh yeah, you did. At one point he goes, we're going to Boston, right? I'm like, no. Uh, that's eight hours. I know. And then he's like, <laughs> just kidding. I'm like, oh, oh uh, we got a little. I, they don't care. They're making money. Right. I guess so. What it must is, be fun to be in What was driver. weird is that then I got home and I had to order a lift for the nanny to go to Queens and the price of the lift to Queens was mm-hmm. not that far off from the price to ferry. Right. So going to how Fire does Island is work? actually
1: not taking the an Uber to Fire Island ferry is not that expensive.
0: Right, that's far. Weird. weird,
1: I know. That's very you know. There's a new porn about a uh, Uber driver who's also a killer, uh, and I can't wait to watch that.
0: <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, he, it's called. Uh, it's a, he's a, a killer.
1: He's a, a murderous Uber driver, but also has sex with everyone. It is called Overdrive. I'll send you the, send you the info. Mm. <laughs> Comes out today.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. A
1: Twisted Nightmare.
0: Well, why couldn't it be about just a hot Uber driver that people come on to? So to speak.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: uh, maybe you can
1: write that one. How about mm. you write that porn then? Okay. Because you, they want to make it interesting.
0: I don't know. Have you ever had a flirt with an Uber driver? Yes. Anything yes. that's resulted in anything interesting? Well, if you actually if you go onto
1: certain apps, some people will have in their profile like Uber driving, driving around. I I'll come to you. I don't ever re- interact with uh, those profiles, but sometimes on a on a grinder and such, it will say Uber driver
0: interesting what (laughs) no that's interesting i just i'm trying to get my head around it Uh,
1: yeah well if they're bored they're waiting for a passenger like if i were an uber driver i would probably you know entertain that fantasy in between stops right maybe well now we sound like whores we really
2: do
0: That's all for this week's show. To hear more, you can listen to us weekdays on Radio Andy Sirius XM. See you back here next week.